Joy, and I think Faithy's probably with them. Pray for them. You know, it's it's hectic coming back. I came back from Arizona last night. Coming up I-5 today is going to be treacherous, so pray for them. Pray for them. I'm from the Midwest, and, you know, this kind of weather reminds me of the first snow. And uh, I remember when I candidated in a church up in northern Minnesota near North Dakota, the Red River Valley there. They get some weird and wild weather there. But I remember uh, told a joke about a a Minnesota pastor reminds me of it. You know, the 49ers are playing today, the first big rains. And, and he told the joke that, you know, it was a big blizzard. It's a little church. And a few of the farmers showed up. And, you know, the pastor got up on the stage and he preached his heart out and preached and preached. And after the service, he came down, you know, and he greeted everybody at the back door. And, and you know, everybody's greeting him and one of the farmers walked by, and he says, you know, Pastor, that was a great sermon. But when I call the cows home, and only a few cows come, I don't give them the whole bale of hay. Now, for you that aren't farmers, what that means is, I'm not going to give you the whole bale of hay, but if you're going to have to listen hard, listen fast, so we can get done here in the time limit that we have. But I may have so much fun, I may go a little longer. But December 1st is a great day. You talked about great. For me, i got to just give glory to God. Forty-nine years ago, December 1st, at this time, I was in Chicago, AFES, being drafted into the United States Army. I remember sitting in one of those rooms waiting to catch a plane to go to Seattle to Fort Lewis to get ready to become an infantry Army guy in Vietnam. And I remember as I sat there, God began to work in my heart. Oh, I, I, you know, went to church, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, I was facing death at least in my mind. And uh, when I got on that plane December 1st, I felt the power of those jet engines. I was sitting against 300 other young men were all strangers to me. And I thought, you know, I've never seen this pilot. God, I've never seen you. But I'm just like I'm going to trust this pilot, I want to trust my life into your hands. And December 1st, 1970, I became a follower of Jesus. So I just want to give glory to God. This is a great day for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, two Sundays ago I was here because I wanted to check out how long I could go and what it was like and all that. And uh, one of your SVC uh, husbands, father, grandfather shared with me his journey in understanding love. And I asked if I could share it with you. You know, we're getting into the Christmas season and you may have gotten his Christmas letter. I probably got it. Uh, and, you know, what happens is, though, you receive a lot of letters, and it gets to be a busy time of the year, and you may not read them all, okay? So if you read this one, my apologies. If not, it's a great letter. And he wrote this. When I married my bride, I felt like God had revealed to me what his love was like. That This was a love that consumed my thoughts. It was a love that motivated me to aggressively seek to spend time together. It was a love that would not allow me to make her anything except my number one priority. And I remember the day they got married. It was one of the hottest days in the summer in the backyard. And I remember that day, and I remember how struck he was with his bride-to-be. He wrote, I finally understood how motivated God was to be with me, to spend time together, to constantly be in each other's thoughts. Then I had children. And I felt like God had revealed a different aspect of his love. Now I understood his love for me so much better. There was nothing I would not do for my children. 
I would endure pain, sleepless nights, hunger, soil clothes. You remember all that. Maybe you're going through that in order to care for them, to ensure that they felt loved, to be certain that they felt safe and secure. I would have stepped in front of a bullet for them. And they knew it. And then I understood there was nothing that God would not do for me. Motivated by his love for me as long it was for my good. Then I had a grandson. Suddenly I was confused. Because I experienced a love that was different from those two. At first it bothered me. Because it seemed purer, and I should not feel that way about a grandchild more than my own children or my wife. But then God revealed to me that this was a different picture of his love for me. This was an unfettered love. I could simply love my grandson and fully enjoy being with him without worrying at all about whether his needs were going to be met. I knew my daughter and her husband would meet them. It was a love that was pure enjoyment, without any worries or anxieties. And this was God's love for me, unfettered by worries or anxiety, because he already knew my needs and my future, and he knew how to meet them in the best and the most timely manner. God's love for me has so many dimensions. This is what we're going to look at today, the author wrote. He longs to spend time with me, and he is constantly thinking about me. He would do anything for me to keep me safe and to help me succeed. And he has no worries about me, knowing that he can and will meet every need of mine. I am sure there are more aspects I still don't understand, and I eagerly await his revelation through another relationship. I thought that was very insightful. But I can understand, and maybe you have experienced, what it feels like to love your wife or your spouse. You can relate then. And I can understand, and maybe you've experienced, what it feels like loving your kids. You know what that feels like. And I can understand what it feels like to love grandkids. I've got 14. And some of you have felt that kind of love. You know that is an unfettered kind of love, unless you think the parents aren't doing it right. Then you're fettered, all right? And then just shut up and let it go, okay? <laughs> I was with seven of my grandkids for seven days, so I know how that goes. But you may think to yourself, I don't need to know how to love my wife. I don't need to know how to love my kids. I don't need to know how to love my grandkids because it's sort of natural. And it's almost a universal feeling. Everybody gets that. But for the 90 days with Jesus, you're going to be challenged. We're not talking about your wife. We're not talking about your kids. We're not talking about your grandkids. We're talking about loving God, which is very abstract. We're talking about loving one another, which is a little bit more real. And we're talking about loving our community, or the Bible talks about loving our neighbor. So I want you to pray with me that God would reveal to us how to do that, because that's not natural. So pray with me, would you? Lord, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth 
be acceptable and may your Holy Spirit reveal to us the picture, the understanding of love that you want us to grasp and to experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Love sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But I think we'd all agree there is love and then there is love. And love has many layers. I think it would be helpful to distinguish between what we naturally feel towards others, our loved ones, and what we don't naturally feel towards others outside of our loved ones, okay? So what kind of love would God have me to show to others? Is it what I feel for my kids, my grandkids, my wife? And so what I'd like to do is just to give us a look at love a little deeper. And I'm going to use the four loves from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a godly man. He is a very good writer. He wrote in the 50s and 60s, so very difficult to read in the, in, in the millennial, okay? I, I do book clubs with my grandkids, and they read his books, and it's like, whoa, this is deep, you know? But he does a great job on, on defining, distinguishing love, because in the English language, we have one word, love. But in the Greek, there's four words, okay? The first is eros, and that's a passion, physical, sexual, erotic. Then there's storge, which is an affectionate love, a sweet, sentimental fondness or enjoyment of someone or something. You could say, I love a song. I love the enjoyment of a person's company. Even that person doesn't have to hold my values or beliefs, but I like hanging out with them. This is the love we feel for our pets. Every morning I get up and my little Sophie leaves the bedroom, comes out into the family room, knows where to sit, and just sits there while I do my devotion. Or it's a fondness for a material item. You could love your home. You could love your car. You could love a jewelry gift. You could love your Apple Watch, which I love when I play golf. But this love can turn and make you feel selfishness, greed, or envy, because they have something I love, and I don't have it. Then there's a third love. It's called philos, and you know that one. You've heard it. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, philanthropy, the love of people. Uh, so it's a brotherly love. It's a kindred spirit. It's a friendship. It's a shared humanity or a benevolent compassion that you have for the homeless. I know you do. And then there's agape. It's an unconditional, it's a divine love. That's the love we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the kind of love you're going to need to love God, to love one another, and to love your neighbors and your community. So, in the New Testament now, only philos and agape are used, just so you know that. Eros isn't there, even though it's described... In, in, in Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, very well. It's not used. And uh, neither is Storge. But Philos and Agape are used, and it's used in the same context after Jesus had risen from the dead and his disciples had gone back to fishing in the Gospel of John, and you're going to see that in, in, the, in the winter months when you go through 90 days with Jesus. And, and, and they were on the beach. If you remember, Jesus was on the beach, and they came up after fishing, and there was this encounter between Jesus and Peter. 
And after they ate dinner, Jesus looked at Peter and, and he said, Do you love me? Agape. And Peter, and he said, Feed my sheep. And Peter was wounded and he says, Of course I love you, Philos. And then he asked him again and he asked him again three times, Do you agape? Now, we don't want to make too much distinction between the two there, but it was used in that context. But in the Bible, we are only commanded to agape love one another. That's the only way we are commanded to love one another and to love our community, okay? It's recorded in John 13 when Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you agape one another. Even as I have agaped you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Not philos, not eros, not storge, agape. If you have love for one another. So what is agape love? And how does it act? So turn in your Bible, if you haven't, to 1 Corinthians 13 and Pastor Gary asked me to teach on this, and so I appreciate him allowing me to get into a text. And I'm looking forward to January 2020 and kicking off that first 30 of the 90 days. That's if you give me the Brian thumbs up. You know, after preaching today, if you give me the Brian thumb down, I doubt that I'll be able to come back in January, okay? So decide what you'll do on that. But anyways, agape love. The first thing we look at, and Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. We're not going to go deep into this passage. But we're going to look at what is agape love and how does it act. Your ministry to one another and to your community is limited only by the degree of agape love demonstrated for others. That is the baseline. Is how much you love people determines how much you can minister to them. Look at verse 1. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, there's a controversy. We're not going to go into it. Paul was correcting them. They were very aesthetic. They wanted all of the sign gifts, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of miracles. They weren't so much concerned about the serving gifts. They wanted the sensational gifts. So we won't get into it, but when he talks here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's not talking about the same tongues in Acts 2. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, it was called xenoglossia, other known languages, but unknown to the person speaking them. Greek, Hebrew, Latin of some sort, whatever. You all of a sudden can speak it and people understand it. Here we're talking about tongues of men and angels, unknown, unintelligible language. And if I have the gift of prophecy, that's another sign gift. Uh, and know all mysteries and knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, what? I'm nothing. So even if I can speak forth the Word of God, because prophecy is used two ways in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the, New, in the Old Testament it was speaking foretelling the Word of God, what God was going to do in the future. In the New Testament, prophecy is speaking forth the Word of God, teaching, educating, encouraging, exhorting. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. 
So our ministry is only limited by our capacity to love agape. In the 4th century, Plato, you may have heard of him, he, he did some lectures called the Symposium, and they were written down. And in his, his lecture 197, he wrote about what Paul wrote about love. And he wrote, and many others have written on love, but Paul has here surpassed them all in his poem. It comes like a sweet bell right between the jangling noise of the gifts in chapter 12 and 14. It's a pity to dis- dissect this gem or to pull the pieces of this fragrant rose petal by petal. So we're not going to pull it apart. We're going to let the language just speak for itself because what we read here, and you may hear it at a wedding, is the language of the heart. And you get it. You know it. So here's what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is what love is not. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not selfish. It is not provoked. does not take into account wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Now, we could unpack all that, couldn't we? We could give examples, but it just let it speak for itself. Love does. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And endures all things. Love conquers. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child, but I became a man. I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be fully known, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide what? Faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Now my wife and I, we were in Arizona last week, and with seven of our 14 grandkids, we saw Frozen 2. I saw it on Friday. But our experience without seeing Frozen 1 was like being in the fog of Frozen 2. We enjoyed the great music, and Olaf's humor was great. But the only thing I really understood, really, as I was trying to figure it all out, was Olaf's last words to Anna. And I think he said something like this. Only love lasts forever. So what type of love are we talking about in our 90 Days with Jesus Challenge? What are we talking about? Well, we love God with agape love, okay? We love our spouse with agape love, storge, philos, and eros. We love our kids and our grandkids with agape and storge. We love our Christian brothers with agape and philos. But what kind of love do we need to have for our community or our neighbors? Especially if they annoy you. Right? Especially if they aggravate you. And if they attack you. 
Challenge your beliefs and values. Challenge your character. Challenge your person even. Or even become your enemy. Matthew 5, 44 says what? Love your enemies. Agape. We need agape love. Which does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It isn't provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Well, how do you possess this kind of love? It's one thing to have it in your head, right? How do you get it in your heart to work out in your hands and your feet? Well, humanity, first of all, is created in the image of God. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. And we're created with the capacity, because we're in the image of God, we have that attribute of God, the, the ability to love. And we have the desire to be loved with eros, storge, and philos. In a 4th century mathematician, philosopher, Pascal, said this, we have a God-shaped vacuum in our soul. And it's to be filled with agape love. We want to be loved unconditionally. The Bible says when God was speaking in the Trinity, let us make man in our image. That means the capacity to love and to be loved. In Romans 1.20, we are held account to those attributes. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood, though what has been made, so that we are without excuse. We know what it means to love unconditionally. In 1 John, we are told we love because he first loved us. But we can't love with that agape love until we've experienced that kind of love. Agape love isn't generated from humanity. You cannot experience that just being a human being. That is a God love that has to be given to you. The Holy Spirit births within us, within our human heart. The Holy Spirit is, this, is the third person of the Trinity, just in case you're here. God the Father, God the Son, and when Jesus got ready to leave, he said to his disciples, and when I depart, the spirit of my spirit will come. And in Acts 2, I alluded to it, he came in power, and he came and he dwelt in the hearts of believers. In Ephesians 1, 13, from that day forward, everyone that puts their face in, their Christ, in Christ receives the Spirit of God. You've got the Spirit of God living within you. And that Spirit has to continue to fill you with that agape love. That's the only place you can get it. So it says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, agape, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Only the Spirit of God can fill our hearts with agape love. It is needed for, to fulfill the 90 days with Jesus. If you're going to love God, none of those other loves are good enough. If you're going to love your neighbor, you cannot love them with this kind of love unless God pours it into you. It's not natural. It's not universal. It is a divine gift through the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.22 says it this way, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It's fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace that we sang about, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are very attractive fruit, aren't they? How do you and I possess that kind of love? So you know what it is, but how do you get it? Well, the Holy Spirit has to give it to you. Well, how do I get it from the Holy Spirit? First of all, this is the application, okay? Get this. Abide in His Word. Renew your mind with spiritual thoughts. Get into the Word of God. Ninety days with Jesus, we're going to be in the Word of God. Your mind has to be renewed because it's not eros. It's not even philos. It's not even storge, which almost all comes natural to the rest of the world. This is God's love. And then, because the Spirit of God is the one that has to birth it in you, abide. The word abide means to live in it, to walk in it, to breathe it. Abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. So what does that mean? That means I have to live in Christ. You see, you and I don't have the power to love somebody that alienates us, that aggravates us, that is even aggressive towards us. That is not natural to love those people who may even become your enemies. It's going to take the love of God. So in your weakness, especially when you want to strike back and not love, you and I need the power of God, which is what? Perfected in our weaknesses. The Bible teaches, Paul wrote, the power of God is perfected in my weakness. You see, when you realize that you can't do this on your own, you've got to say, God, I need you to love that person through me because I don't like them. But I know you want me to love them. So, how do you do that? You admit the first step of a 12-step program when you do CR or 12 steps you have to admit, what, that you are powerless. Now we're getting real here, okay? So in these 90 days, when you are prompted by the Spirit of God to love with the Corinthian love and agape love, you have to say, I can't do that, God. Amen? I can't do that. So you have to admit it. The second step of a 12-step program is to what? Is to ask a higher power. Well, we're going to do CR. We're not just asking any higher power. We're asking Jesus. Jesus, give your spirit in me the ability to love with your love. And then third, abide in his love. Just dwell in it. Ephesians 4.23 says, Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. There's where you're in the Word. There's where you're into prayer so that you have the mind of Christ so you're aware God wants to use you as a vessel of love, something that they'll never experience in the world because it can only come through the Spirit of God and those that have the Spirit of God. So awareness of love, just like the Christmas letter, has to come through one's experience. Once you experience it, it'll be powerful. You'll know the depth and the dimension of love 
Now, I've grown a lot since I stepped out of the lead pastor 12 years ago. Because I've gone from loving one another in the body to living in the streets and loving my neighbor. And I've worked with all kinds of people across the board. And I've grown. I still have a lot of growing to do. I still have those that aggravate me, that are aggressive towards me. And, you know, I would maybe even declare maybe they're my enemies. And you want me to love them? Paul wrote to the, to the uh, church of Ephesus. And I want us to stand together and read his prayer. And as you read it, I don't just don't want you to read the words. This may be the first time you've read it in a while. I want you to allow it to come from your eyes to your head into your heart. And sincerely make it your prayer that this will become your experience. Paul prays it for the church in Ephesus. I could pray it for us here at Solano Valley, but I'm just going to invite the band up, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and let's make this a prayer that we read together. So let's put it on the screen. Now we haven't done this in unison, so it may be a little bit hard, but again, God knows our hearts, okay? So let's pray it together. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is His love. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, continue to lift up your countenance upon your people. Continue to be gracious to them. Continue to allow them to experience in their own lives your love. And may they share that with those that are in our community so that they will know us by our love for one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, church.